Hello, I'm Jim Mallard, host of The Mallard Report. On The Mallard Report, along with my guest, we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts and opinions. For more information, my bio, past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D dot com. And thanks for listening. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, before we begin, let's make sure you head over to veritiesapparel.com slash mallard. Get your 10% off. Get your free shipping. Get all your fun stuff. veritiesapparel.com slash mallard. Um, actually, Aaron was on last week, and we talked about the history of the company and all that other fun stuff. So if you're a podcast listener, go check out Aaron from Verities. It'll be up shortly, hopefully, or tomorrow. I don't know. My days are running together, and I'm running backwards. But... Enough about my issues. Let's talk about something more intelligent. Is that a good word for it? That's a good one. <laughs> well, I want to welcome Bernie Taylor to the to the program. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Got an invite today to speak at a Unitarian church on Darwin Day. When is Darwin Day? I mean, I, I believe the thing is this, but I, I don't know the date. I'll well, it's ne- it's me- it's next month. It's next month, and uh, so. It's February 12th, and so I'm going to take them to where fact meets fiction, where science meets spirituality. Are you ready to go there tonight? Yeah, let's go there, actually, because I – well, yeah, let's go there, and then i got to promise – I'm going to promise you we'll get back to the book and make sure we get it promoted. How's that sound? Absolutely. So where is that line? Is there is there an actual firm line anymore between science and fiction? Well, here's a, I'm going to tell you about a dream, a dream that Carl Jung took, the Swiss psychoanalyst. And in this dream, he walks into a home, an older home. And in the home, he sees furniture that he recognizes from the Renaissance. And as he walks down the hallways, the plaster starts coming off the walls. And he considers that this plaster is not of his time, but rather some ancient Greece or Rome. And he continues down, and he, he finds a trap door in a room. And he opens up the trap door and goes down into like a cave. And in that cave, he finds two skulls and he looks at these skulls and he recognizes that this paleolithic mind is still our own and so what we learned and so after that Jung went to um, the literature of mythology and looked at myths throughout the world and it came back this concept that they are the same story that monomyth that Joseph Campbell talked about and so what we're talking about right now is a dream that Jung took that transformed the world through all the literature that we have and how we how we see it, how we read it, and how we project it onto the big screens. And now we're taking it to a different place. We're taking that same dream, what, what, what Jung had, and looking at where is the mix between spirituality and science. And we can go to one place at the beginning, because the beginning in modern science is that Big Bang. And the Big Bang in modern science doesn't begin with Einstein and it doesn't begin with Hubble. It begins with the cosmic egg. And from that cosmic egg, which exploded and all the constellations sprung out, Father Lamanter, a Belgian priest, hypothesized the concept of the Big Bang. The Big Bang at that time was actually a, a joke. They said, well, it's an orgasmic moment, and they ridiculed him. Einstein said, your, 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 your math max is correct, but your physics is atrocious. So Einstein came out against this. It wasn't until years later that Hubble, Edwin Hubble, Note, he, he observed an expanding universe or stars in a different way. And it came back to the scientific audience who said, you know, Hubble's got it. Lamanter was right. Now, in the time of Lamanter, there's a complication because Pope Pius, it was the 12th or 13th, the one who, who aligned himself with the Reichstag, he came out and said, there is now a creator. There was a, now we can see a creation through this cosmic egg. Therefore, there must have been a creator. And so science and religion got all mixed up. And it continued on. And today, there's many ideas about how the universe was formed or not formed, or there's many multiverses. But we go back to this concept of the, of the, the singularity, this big bang, this cosmic egg, because it's now unconscious. It's what we can accept, both on, for the religious people and for the scientists, in the same way that Jung went back into our mind. He went back to the mind of modern man and found that the Paleolithic mind is still our own. So can we separate religion and science? I don't believe so. 
I believe that we lack the capacity to truly think beyond outside the box, that we're retelling stories from our distant past. And I don't mean stories that your grandfather told you or his grandfather told him, but I'm telling you stories that go back at least 34,000 years ago, Skookies. We can see, the, see these stories in the Paleolithic record with all the characters and the made-up of constellations that the Greeks also used. We can see the stories. We're still telling the exact same stories with a little twist here and there. We change the costumes. We change the sets. But the story remains the same. So can we separate science and religion? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, it's a good question. It's, a de- it's, it's not an easy question because both of them take a certain level of belief, first and foremost. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Did you ever go to science class class and someone said to you that you had a certain le- you'd have a certain level of belief to understand something? Yeah. <laughs> or a certain <laughs> level of understanding. Classes. <laughs> or a certain level of under I mean, because there's certain levels of things that we just take for granted, like gravity. Sure. But there's a I mean, there was a belief in them and then it doesn't mean they're always I mean I don't know how to word this. Um well, some things have been disproven through the years, obviously, oh, I guess ex- is where I'm ex- going. It, it, absolutely true. And so mo- most of what we think of science today requires a few free miracles to ha- it from beginning to make it work. Um, and that is not additional science. So science has to be a process. And most of the paradigms of today, what is taught in, in the hist- history books of science, it, they, were, they were someone in the past heresies. And much of much of what we studied today in the books will become heresies for people in the future. And my work today, as I bring forth my book before Orion and the many videos I have out there, is that it is a heresy. I am now saying that this Paleolithic mind from 34,000 years ago, the same stories that were told are still told today. The ancients throughout the Mediterranean put it into their astronomy. They put it into their architectural. The Sphinx, I mean, the, the cosmic mountain, the cosmic egg – all of these images, all these these metaphors come from a distant place in time. So far distant in time, it's beyond our conscious re- memory. So we have to go into the collective unconscious that in that cave which Carl Jung found when he looked at those two skulls. And he came to the conclusion that the two minds are the same. And that's why we keep retelling the same stories. I think, I think Jung would have liked this. And you, you mentioned the constellations, which got my mind going because they all have stories attached to them. And then I sit here and think, well, back in the cave, well, either they drew it on the wall or they told a story. So we get, passed, get passed down. Yeah, myths, myths are passed through the seasons of the night as constellations and stars. The characters are light years from Earth, but still within the grasp of the, of the human imagination. There's a... There's, you got to go watch the um, the Go- Dogon episode of the. Remember that show that um, Leonard Nimoy did in Search of. Um, you know, Spock, it, was, it was the one role he didn't do that he wasn't Spock, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> so he diversified a little bit, right? You got to give him credit. So he's in he's in the cave. He actually shows a video that um, a, prof- a pro- university researcher had done filming the Dogon, and the Dogon are famous for Cirrus A and Cirrus B, and Cirrus B is the what they couldn't have seen by in their technology, but astronomers now can see its last hundred or so years. So he, so this gentleman Guggenheim is, is filming this cave and he passes the cave that in, those images on to um, Spock. And what he shows is that they put the constellations and the planets on top of this cave. And so what they're doing is they're telling us they've created a planetarium in the same way we, we do it in science today. They create that night sky because they're showing things from a time and a place that is not into their current night sky. It's, it's from a distant past and a distant future. And it's, it became their storybook in the same way as you go to a planetarium today. And it's a very interesting. So people arguing back and forth about the Dogon, what they knew or didn't know, and all this sort of stuff, which I'm completely uninterested in. But what I'm interested in is they, had, they, put, they made that planetarium on the top of the cave, which is exactly what happened in some of these Paleolithic caves in Europe. They charted, they put their science up there. They put their science up there, the constellations, which all have stories to them. And that's how we, we remember this. We remember the constellations, not by the stars themselves, but we remember them by the characters that we associate with them. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, because you, you're talking about, is it, was this a general human condition? Because 
it happened in a number of places, drawing drawing inside of caves and keeping track of stars. Or was this? Don't I? I don't even want to preference this by saying some sort of extraterrestrial intelligence. <laughs> this, but okay, you're going down the road of the A's, okay? Right. And the A's are ancient aliens. That's a double A. Ayahuasca, Atlantis, Anunnaki, and angels. Okay, and that is pretty much. You know, you've had guests on the show that have told you these sort of things. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a completely different idea. Um, I'm going to say that people had come from the same place. Or at least this astronomical past had come from the same place. And it's at least 34,000 years ago because there's, there's more than 20 constellations that the Greeks recognized. So 34,000 years ago, they had full, you know, full range of astronomy and from what we, what we inherited. And if they had it 34,000 years ago, what did they see beyond that before that time? Well, around the world, Orion is thought as a man, a hunter, a hero. But of course, he looks like a person. But Cirrus around the world, but not always but commonly found as a dog. Cirrus doesn't look like a dog, okay? But people around the world do that. Ursa Major is found as a legged animal, but commonly as a bear. And a she-bear at that. The stars of the Pleiades, which are in the constellation Taurus, are typically thought as a group of people, most commonly as a group of women, and which the constellation Orion chases. So we have motifs, we have these, these metaphors of sorts of the, that, go, that go back to some distant point in time. Now, everybody doesn't see the stars in the same way. And, but we can start with this core point in time. That, so Native Americans, the people in Siberia, in Africa, in, in Europe, and in Asia, they see there's common elements of the constellations of which none of them look like, for example, Cirrus as a dog. And so my, what I'm saying is that if you get rid of all the A's, okay, you know, the, the Anunnaki, ancient aliens, ayahuasca, Atlantis, um, and angels, um, throw them out the window, it come to, it go to another point in time to say, we, our consciousness of the stars as they are to, that we projected our psyche in the, con- in the cosmos to find these patterns and identify um, animals and, and beings. It goes back for a far distant time. And I can show on the record, you know, it's 34,000 years ago at least. But man didn't first start chiseling away his stories on the cave walls. He told them around campfires first. And I'm going to say it's at least 300,000 years ago. Because that's where it all points to. Um, I can't show stars 300,000 years ago, but I can point to the earliest man 300,000 years ago, at least Homo sapiens. And I can point to that place as being the same place as these cave images or the characters within them originate from. So we go back in time. Yeah, well, we're way back in time now. We're way, yeah, yeah, (laughs) so so I'm, I mean, you can't, no one's going to argue against being the 34,000 years ago, but now I'm pushing it back to 300,000 years ago. In a place called Jebel Ur, well, the cave, the earliest remains of Homo sapiens is 300,000 years ago, Jebel Urhud in Morocco. And in Morocco, we find the origin of these cave images. And they go back dis, a much disappointing time. And they're not made by the hand of man. They're, um, they're paradelia. They're images that man saw in the rocks, images that were geologically made. And then he looked at those images, and he saw this one looks like a horse, and this one looks like a lion, and this one looks like a giraffe. And I will find these. I will then take the, these characters with me. So our, our first art wasn't by the hand of man. Our first art was looking in the rocks and the bones and seeing pa- patterns emerging from them, or looking to the star, the skies, and seeing the stars and patterning, you know, animals and people, or looking at the clouds themselves and faces emerge. And of course, there there are no faces. There there's no dogs in the clouds, and there's no elephants. And no horses. But have you ever seen such a creature in the clouds? No. Well, I mean, if you play that game that you do when you're a kid and you look up at the cloud and say, what is it? And you see stuff. Right. And so what, what we see those as adults or those kids, but as adults we say, hey, you know, we recognize their clouds. Right. That's the difference. So the human mind, there was some point in time, very distant, that we were able to pattern those images in the clouds, in the night sky, in the rocks. And it was some point after we split from chimps because 
or the common ancestor of chimps because chimps can't do that. So what separates us from the chimps is not that you know we can Skype each other, but we can pattern images. Mm. And from that, <laughs> we can tell time. Because by, by looking at the stars in the night sky, we can tell time, not just through the seasons of the year, but we can tell over years itself. Chimps can't do that. Chimps can't tell time. You can say to a chimp, you know, I'll give you a bag of peanuts. I'll either give you a bag of peanuts tomorrow or or one peanut today. Which one? Of, what do you think the chimp's going to take? Uh, today. He's going to take the today because the chimp doesn't have that that concept of time. You know, animal. The other animal beings, as wonderful as they are, they when food comes to them, they eat it. Or if there's too much, they store. Squirrels, for example, do not have the capacity to think ahead in time that they need to store the nuts. Squirrels get a heck of a lot of nuts in the fall and more than they can eat, and they they stash what they don't eat. And that creates their food for the winter. And that becomes part of the life history strategy of the squirrel. But squirrels, but we can tell time. And it's, instead of us just stashing stuff in our, in our, our peanuts or our, our food in our basement uh, because it's just too much of it, we can actually plan ahead in time through the winters. Um, and so that's, we, you know, we can gauge our food. And we can move from point A to B and C and back again, which the squirrels can't do and the chimpanzees can't do because they can't tell time. They don't know how to get back again. And you're, you're talking about time. And all I'm seeing, because we're going back hundreds of thousands of years, and I'm just thinking, A, there's no space junk. B, there's no junk light going around. How much more amazing it would have been to look at the sky. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're in Pennsylvania. Can you see dark night skies where you live? Uh, well, kind of. Okay, so there's there's either dark skies or not, okay? And when they're dark, you know they're dark. So you need to go to a place. If you go to, I've been to Alaska, you know, in um, actually it's Kamchatka, it was a Russia in the, in the fall, and they were dark night skies. I can, I'm in Oregon, Portland. I have to leave Portland, go about an hour east into the desert, and we can truly see dark night skies because there's, there's no illumination. Right. And those dark night skies... That's what, I guess that's what I'm saying. There, there, are, there are places I can go, but out my window it tonight... It explodes. It yeah. explodes. And so the people saw those, those, dark, those dark night skies, and that was their, there was a storyboard. And as the stars moved through the seasons... Um, they told a different a different event of, of the hero. So here's an example. So the Ojibwe, in not too far from you in the Great Lakes, their Orion character is called the Winter Maker, um, and the Winter Maker um, travels through through the um, through the winter itself, and he makes the snow and he makes the element el- elements, and in the springtime he disappears again. So they're telling a story that ties in the seasons, the weather to their constellation. And they have a story about the winter maker who's, who's um, it's, you know, it ties, it's a, there's a duck involved. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's a mallard duck, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so well, for the take of this program up. tonight. <laughs> you got to look this, you got to look it up. The Ojibwe story, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. And in, in this story, uh, that the, actually, the, the, duck, it's, the duck's called the diver, but it might be a, a mallard duck. And the the winter maker chases this this diver duck throughout the year, through winter, and every time he goes down into into the water to um, get food, winter maker ices over the top, and he goes through many months of this. But every time the, the diver seems to get out, and at the same time, the diver is a hero because he takes back what fishes he finds to his cabin to some bird that couldn't fly south, and he saves him through the winter. Um, and so, people like the Ojibwe. Around the world, they look at these characters and they find stories, stories that tell them about themselves, stories that tell them about the weather, um, things that have absolutely nothing to do with the stars, but it has to do with their own condition, the human condition, and what we experience in life. You know, there's there all the old joke about how people always just talk about the weather when they have nothing else to talk about. And absolutely. You're, you're telling me they've been we've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years at least hundreds of thousands of years at least <laughs> i'm going with three i'm going with three hundred thousand years ago we, we were doing this and you know if 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 you're a believer in mother ayahuasca or you know the teachings the prophecies of edgar casey or whatever else is out there i mean that's a different story this is what we did 
This is what's in the minds of man and that we created. So here's what gets really interesting. Okay. So I said that we, we could chart at least 20 constellations in this gallery of discs in Spain from 34,000 years ago. And they are in the exact, they're not just the constellations that the Greeks found. They're in the same order as the Greeks found them. So in the north of the sky, we have Hercules. And as we start, we go south, we have Aegea, we have Pegasus, we have uh, uh, Pisces, um, which is a dolphin, is a seal, which is Cetus. We have Orion at the south end. And what this, what this artist did was he's actually charting a path from Spain, goes across the water where those marine animals are to Africa, to what is now Morocco. And then he comes back and where he finds a draft, and there's a draft, there's a, there's an elephants, there's a Barbary ape, there's lions with a mane. And then he comes back again and he starts seeing northern constellations. He sees Ursa Major. And that, and he has Cygnus. Um, actually, Cygnus is the now extinct bar, um, great auk, which is the bird. And he comes back to the, to the north again. And so he, he takes this, this as, in, as above, so below journey. The animals that he charts across his terrestrial marine world are mirrored in the night sky above them. And as he moves from north to south, they, they appear to him. And so not only were we, were we just charting the stars, but we were charting the stars in time and space. They were telling us where we, should, where we, we can be. And what we find in this story, this is the story, of course, is Hercules, okay? And he travels to Morocco. Hercules travels to Jebel, to, uh, Jebel Tobokal, the mountain we call it Atlas, where he encounters Atlas himself. Um, and so he travels from north to south and back again. Well, we, we tell this same story over and over and over again. It's the hero on the, the hero's journey as, um, you know, as immortalized by Joseph Campbell. Um, so we're telling the same story. And that same, that story tells us how we can chart time and space. Um, and that's 34,000 years ago, which, so before, before this story, this, this story emerged from those rocks. We look back at Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is about 4,500 years ago, found found in the sands of Mesopotamia, and that was our that we believe was our first story. And it's about a hero that goes, actually a horrible man that goes on a journey, becomes a hero, and, and returns. And bef- we we looked at Gilgamesh in the past, and we'd say, well, you know, the psychology of man hasn't really changed in 4,500 years ago. He has all the same problems as we have today. Therefore, you know, there's there's no intellectual psychological change. But we're going back to 30,000 years now go before Gilgamesh. And we're seeing the same stories that we, we continue to tell. And so has man himself, have we evolved psychologically or intellectually? Or are we, re, are we repeating this, the past, these metaphors, these myths, because we're trapped in them? Sort of like a, um, what was the movie with Keanu Reeves, The Matrix? He can't escape The Matrix. <laughs> that is true. You can't escape that for anything. Now, Okay, I, I've got I've got to push push pause on this actual good conversation we're having. Now, I'm curious about this. What got you interested in this? Probably dozens of years ago. Well, I <laughs> fell into this. I actually fell into it. And this was this was a. I wrote a book before this one. It was titled it's titled Biological Time. It is it is a a biological version of it's a biologist book. Okay, it's full of statistics and 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 so on. And it's about um, it started off, how do salmon talk, time themselves? And I'm out here in the Pacific Northwest. We have, we have multiple kinds of salmon. And salmon are early or later from one year to the next, at least on our calendar. And if, if, one, if one type of salmon is late, the other ones are all late. So they're all synchronized early or late over many months. And uh, so one could say, well, they all smart, followed one smart salmon, but that's not true because they, they, they travel all throughout the Pacific. So I asked the question, how do salmon time themselves? And the answer turns out that they time themselves by light and dark cycles, which, hey, you know, no one, no one would have disputed that before. But this was, the, this was the difference. It's not just light and dark cycles of the sun. It's of the sun and the moon. And so what happens when you go to Alaska during the summertime, it's 24 hours light. You get off the plane. You're, you know, you're like all charged up. You know, you hang out at the bars all night. And, you know, you know, after two days of that, you get sleepy. You know, you just fall asleep out of exhaustion. Well, salmon are just the opposite. Salmon migrate during the darkness. So during dark nights, when there's it's not a full moon, they move. And during the lighter nights, they stop. Well, the moon is out of sync with the sun. The cycle that's the moon is 29 half days times 12 times 12 
is, is 11 days short of 365. And so if, uh, let's say a migration new moon period would be January 12th one year, be January 1st the next year. And that describes why salmon move are early and later from when they're next. Okay. And when I did the sat, when I did this work, I also looked at invertebrates and, li- and rivers and lakes and um, um, waterfowl, and they all have the same timing. And then I looked back, old well, Native Americans had it in their calendars, and they, the reason it was on calendars because they they'd have Costco's, um, they didn't have you know, you know you know all these stores that we go to that we just pick up a meal. If they had to arrive at the river, the salmon had to be there, all they starved. So that started moving in this direction. I, and someone said to me, you got to go look at the caves in France and look at the images. And there's this cave, it's called, cave called Lascaux in the Dorgon region of France. And the cave is images about 17,000 years ago, and they describe exactly these biological cycles. And that was about 12, 13 years ago, and I was ahead of my time. And that I put it on the shelf, and since then, people have now used the concepts for biological timing in, um, as protocols in fisheries and wildlife management. And I came back, and I said, I'm going to, you know, caves have been dated to a deeper point in time, and then continue the biological work. And then I, I looked at this cave system 40,000 years ago called El Castillo. And El Castillo has this panel with 80 or so discs, red discs, each about the size of the palm of your hand. And I'm looking at this thing, I'm saying, you know, that's a huge panel with just a bunch of red discs. Maybe there's something in it. And I started looking in, in the spaces beyond the red discs, and I saw an elephant. And it wasn't, there, there were elephants in Europe at the time, but there were, this was not a European elephant. And that set me off in this direction of, you know, this person had, tra- this artist had traveled from Spain to Africa and back again. And so there's a journey. And then as I started continuing this, on this panel, Human faces emerged, and it was amazing that um, there, 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 all the details. So this just aren't rough outlines. These are highly detailed faces and bodies. Um, you can tell the males are definitely males, and so it set me on this different direction of being this quantitative biology type, trying to figure out how animals animals are timed. To now seeing this, this psychological version of ourselves and seeing the story within us all. So that was a long answer, but it got you to the point. No, it got me to more questions, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, this is okay. So you're probably aware I'm a show host. I actually do things on paper, which may sound rare to some people out there. But okay, so I've got my pen in my hand, and I'm, you know, I, as you were talking about doing these detailed drawings in a cave wall, I'm sitting here doodling, and I went, "How did they manage to pull?" I mean, I'm not happy with this little stick figure that is true. I mean, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Yeah. This, 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 so if you think if you think in time, I don't mean the last ten years, the last twenty years. Who would you come up with the top three geniuses of all time? Of all time, all time, and they might be unnamed geniuses. So people that made something that you we can't explain. So who would you come up with the top three geniuses of all time? Well, we'd have to. Well, it would be somewhere between Tesla and the other name just slipped my mind. Um, <clears throat> That's bad. Could Tesla have made the Great Pyramids? Or showed some ability to have made the Great Pyramids? Possibly, but if he was... But see, that's he wasn't. that wasn't what he was doing. He was doing electric stuff. That's what I'm... What okay, I'm so we'll put Tesla up there. Okay, so Tesla is 100 years ago, right? 80 right. to 100 years ago? Okay. Who else? Well, I've got to give credit to some caveman who came up with fire. I don't know who... Oh, okay, okay, go on, okay. Go right. on. What's another one? Uh, let's see. Greatest now, great geniuses. Now we're getting to the. <laughs> I don't know because I don't want to. I mean, so many. Most great... people would say Newton. Okay. Yeah. Um. Some lot. Some people would say Einstein. When you start, when you start saying Newton, you know, in Copernicus, you're talking many hundreds of years ago. And you know, the, the mysteries. Some of the mysteries, the great mysteries of this world, are who made. How did they make the great pyramids? Someone was pretty smart. Okay. Um, and so one could, I would put the, you know, the Great Pyramid, whoever designed the Great Pyramid, the Giza Pyramids was highly intelligent, how they organized the project and, and made it all work in, in a fairly short period of time. Um, but we're still, we're, we're looking, we're looking back, we're looking back for very distant points of time of these great geniuses. Some might say Da Vinci or Michelangelo, right? Again, great yeah. geniuses. So if we can find great geniuses, we can identify, you know, the greatest of geniuses in the last few thousand years just on, a, on our hand. Why couldn't there have been geniuses 34,000 years ago? 
or 100,000 or 300,000 years ago. If we haven't intellectually changed, we certainly haven't psychologically changed. Why just couldn't there have been very smart people, super geniuses back in time? And that we're just sort of peons. We have better toys. Yeah, but clearly but better not, toys. <laughs> we, just have, we have better toys, yeah. But we're, you know, we're, you know, we're Batman with better toys. But the bat is still within us. That animist. Um, the the so if there were great geniuses in the last thousand years or two thousand years, why couldn't it have been thirty thousand, thirty to forty thousand years, or hundreds of thousands of years? There's absolutely nothing that precludes that, because genius comes not just by what is taught, by what, what comes from the mind. And so we, so how did this person make these? So describe to you, audience, we have all these constellations across this 10 meter long paddle. 10 meters is about, um, about 30 feet. It's about 10 foot high. All the constellations are laid on top of each other so that, that they overlap, overlap. And then what they are is the cosmic egg. And cosmic egg in this myth hasn't exploded yet. And so not only did this artist put all, engrave all these characters and paint them onto this panel, but he overlapped them in such a way that um, it's, it's, it's unfathomable, okay? You just don't need to know the astronomy, but you have to be this phenomenal artist, your left and right brain at the same time, to be able to overlap these constellations so that they all work. Um, and so, you know, I believe that the ancients, well, we, actually, we can look at the Romans, we, the Greeks, the Phoenicians, the Babylonians, and the Egyptians and others, and we can see marks in their mythology, exact characters, I mean, the details of characters in their art that came from some of these caves. So they had been there. And they would have looked back in time and they would have said to themselves, you know, these people are pretty smart. We can't do this. We don't, we don't have the ability to, to, to bundle up all these constellations on this cave wall um, as they, you know, before they exploded into the night sky. So what, what, here's, a, here's a qu- another question for you. What, what, what possibly would have they come, back, come up with that there, were cons- that there was this great intelligence in the past that no longer exists because they can't do it and they know that the guy down the road can't do it? So what, what stories might they have come up with? Well, we came up with all these stories for the constellations to pass them down to other generations. You mentioned the pyramids. I've always, I've joked in the show before about if I was at Home Depot, could I build the ark with all the tools and all the wood there? And I can't. I know that yeah. much. I know so that how, much. Well, so who do you think they credit it to? How do they credit this work of the past that they couldn't do? Advanced technologies beyond their own time, in their own words, technology. I don't know. I mean, they're so, well, giving credit to a, a creator, a, a god, a some sort of deity most likely but or we can start listing off the a's again right yeah well i was getting there i guess <laughs> okay it's well, okay. Fall, falls under the angel category there angels so, yeah. ancient aliens atlantis mother ayahuasca anunnaki i mean just go back down the, the list of the a's yeah but and... so we so what, what they so when they when when the ancients looked at these and they told stories about this great intelligence from the past, this, this phenomenal technology, they would have been looking at these, these images because they couldn't do it. And, and they walked away to tell, you know, these, but they just could, they couldn't say, well, they had to come up with a pretty good story, right? So they must have been wiped away by a flood, the great flood, right? I feel pre, this is clear, but fluvio. Or great earthquakes, or the gods came down on them for their misdeeds. You know, some combination of the above. But they couldn't say, you know, we conquered them because, you know, it's a distant point in time. They're animals that weren't in their world. And they also, how could you conquer such people with great technology? Well, the answer is that the gods must have been, they must have scorned the gods. And that, those are these, these type of myths that we find in and around the, middle, the Mediterranean among the ancients. They're telling stories of this great civilization from the distant past that is phenomenal technologies that was wiped away from the earth. And that's what they tell. And so we, we can we can. So I'm I'm not an Atlantis person. I tell you right now, and I'm not an educated Pacey person. I'm not an ayahuasca person and the rest of ancient aliens and so on. And no one is ever going to invite me to contact in the desert. OK, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Okay. Well, well and, the, uh, good. I wasn't going there anyway, so that's fine. Okay. So you, yeah, you you were just blackball too, be, being on the show. Well, I, I they, was done they, that before that, but that's a whole other can. Okay. <laughs> so all so all these ideas that people have, it's not that they're bad ideas because they are the ideas that people came up to explain something that was unexplainable. How could someone be smarter than? And if we're so smart today, and the Greeks were, you know, highly intelligent for their time, the ancient Greeks. 
How could there have been people? And so the ancient Greeks knew there are primitive people. So they figured that there are primitive people for them. They must have grown from that. But what? What? But there. How do you explain this great technology, this great art, this great astronomy from before primitive people? And so you have to say there was a lost civilization. Where did they go? Oh, wait. So they, that's the <laughs> other course. Well, well. If you, so you know, it's simple, well, but not 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 really. <laughs> So the answer is, where did they go? That's a good question. Well, in the mythology, well, the stories of not mythology, the story, that they were they were um, drowned in the flood. They were, you know, the fire, the, the earth split and the fires engulfed them. Um, the gods scorned them and so forth. But where did they really go? Well, about to, about twelve thousand years ago, people left the Iberian Peninsula or that part of Europe, and they went back to Africa. And at, at 12,000 years in Africa, the Sahara just erupts as this huge art gallery. It's the largest, it's a big area, you know, size of the United States, but it's the largest art gallery in the world. And there was no wall art, significant wall art, prior to 12,000 years ago. 12,000 years ago, cave art ends in Europe and it emerges in the Sahara in a huge way. So we find the same animals, life size, on the rocks in the Sahara. So one ends. And the other begins. So where do they go? They went back to Africa. The reason they went back to Africa because twelve thousand years ago, Africa was like the was like the Great Lakes, huge fertile northern Africa, as I say, the so-called Sahara. The Sahara was lakes were larger than the Great Lakes of the United States. It was a fertile region. All those animals that I, I explained, I expressed, were there. You could walk across the Sahara now in the sand for days, and then come across a rock where there's a crocodile. Or hippopotamus or rhinoceros, these animals that no longer exist in the great in that part of Sahara. And so what happens is climate changes. And, you know, I know Trump doesn't buy into, but we're not watching him on TV tonight. But climate climate changes because the procession that the earth earth wobbles. Twelve thousand years ago, the greatest Sahara region was just you know you could have sailed practically sailed across it. The legs were so big. And the huge savannas with, the, with these animals roam as, as you'd find in, in South, southern Africa today. And so where did they go? They went, they went back to Africa. But they went other places to, as well. I did a 23andMe DNA test. And I, part of me is from well, my ancestry is from Scotland. I have the same DNA as people have in Morocco. Because they went north too. People in Finland have the same DNA as people have in Morocco, and that dates to 7,000 to 8,000 years ago. The Yakut people in northern Siberia have the same DNA as the people in Morocco. And so where did they go? Is they migrated out. So something changed, something pushed them out, and part of it was better better hunting grounds in, in the Sahara. But other, you know, there's also a, you know, we we travel, and other people came. So agricultural people came in from the from Eurasia, um, eleven twelve thousand years ago. They migrated from what we call now Gobekli Tepe, which is an agriculture area. They um, they migrated into Europe, and they displaced the people, this, the hunter gatherers, um, and who moved out. And they found better hunter grounds where the you know the farmers didn't bother them anymore. And so where did they go? Well, they're still there. They're in the Greater Sahara. They're in the Laplands. They're in, they're in Finland, and they're in Siberia, and they're in this culture of this mythology that we still carry with us today. They're in the, they're in the myths of the ancient Greeks. They're in the, the Sphinx of the Egyptians, and they're in the astronomy of the Tuareg, these people of Sahara, that have been there for tens of thousands of years. They're all there. We haven't gone anywhere. So no, so we weren't. No one was destroyed in a flood. No one was destroyed in an earthquake. No one was destroyed in a comet strike, and the gods were unable to scorn us. <clears throat> See now, I have I'm at a crossroads of questions in my mind, so I'm gonna write one down here before oh. I, <clears throat> before I forget, because I will. So next time you get someone on the on the program that starts ripping off the A's as a solution to everything, say hey, you know. Have you listened to Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> so I, my, my question for you is, okay, now follow me for a second, because this is heavy in my mind right now. I'm trying to figure this out. We go from drawing in caves to drawing inside pyramids. Well, actually, not drawing inside of pyramids. What they did was, 
um, <clears throat> for example, we're going to give you, um, they took characters, not, so I can, not drawing inside the pyramids themselves. So the Sphinx, the Giza Sphinx, for example. And the, the source of the effigy of the Giza Sphinx is in this cave in El Castillo on the Gallery of Discs. And what it is, it's the constellation Leo is the lion. Okay, and we can see him in this exact same place as the Greeks had him, and so forth. But what comes off the top of his head is this fa- this face that we find of the Giza Sphinx. Okay, so the Giza Sphinx is not of a lion; it's it was it's a it's a um, therianthropos, was a man mixed up with a lion. So we have these two characters that are mixed in, the, in this El Castillo cave, which creates the source of the the the. Um, the um, pictorial source of the geezer sphinx. Now, what's interesting about this 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 lion, this lion sphinx that's in the El Castillo cave, is that he faces east. Okay, so the interpretation of the Giza sphinx. Have you had Robert Bouval on the program? I have not. Okay, so Robert Bouval talks about the Giza Giza and the sphinx, and he says that the the sphinx faces east. Therefore, that must have been a point in time at the vernal equinox that all the stars were aligned. And he goes back, well, the last time that happened was 12,000 year years ago. Therefore, the Sphinx must have been made 12,000 years ago. Okay. And so what actually happened is that it's a summer solstice. It's a, it's a late June time period of, the, of this panel, this gallery of discs. And so the, the line was facing east at the summer, near to the summer solstice. So it's not 12,000 years ago. And that this whole, uh, this whole lining the Sphinx to the vernal equinox Taking it back the stars in time to 12,000 years ago, which just happens to be so-called time of Atlantis, um, is bunk. So the point is that they borrowed the images. But the, and I believe that the ancient the ancient Egyptians looked at that panel and they knew it was a, a midsummer time period that they didn't think it was a, a vernal a spring vernal equinox late March. And so they they borrowed this this image of the Sphinx and they brought it to their <clears throat> brought it to Giza. And they made, I can't tell you when they made the Giza, spirit, the, the Giza um, Sphinx, but it is the exact same effigy. That same strong jaw, that, that flat jaw. And it's in the, that um, has the nemes, which is like the, the cloth that comes off the, the back of its head. And it has that teardrop on its forehead. It is the exact same image. So, we're, so, the, so the ancient Egyptians, they, didn't, they weren't around 34,000 years ago to have picked this up. What they did is they had been to these caves, they had seen the images, and someone brought it, you know, they, they, wrote, they drew it somewhere, and they brought it back to recreate this memory of the past. Um, and so that is the, 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 the imagery that they brought with them. And the ancient Egyptians, they also believed in Osiris was, uh, was the, the first one. And Osiris is actually the constellation of Orion. And in this image... In this Paleolithic cave, we have a man, we have Orion. He's pretty clear what he is. And he's, of course, right next to Leo. Um, and so the, the ancient Greeks, they brought this mythology um, from a distant point in time, 34,000 years ago, and they, they put it into their artwork. Um, and they, they, of course, in the Sphinx, because there's no, we have no other source. This is, I mean, this is like carbon copy source. Um, so they brought it from a distant point, point in time. And they carry the myths and art into their present. Now I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so I'm building a pyramid, okay? Mm-hmm. How many? I mean, we're talk we're talking years before I can orient it to an equinox or something. No, you do. You you just you know, in one year you do it. So they already they already so sundials sundials go back for many many thousands of years, okay? So they, they knew where the vernal equinox, they knew where the summer solstice was. So all they had to do was put, plot it. They had it from the past. Okay, so okay, so we'll take your one-year approach. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there because I don't even know the dates in my head right now. But anyways, yeah. so, but of course I didn't have to. Um, then it took, how, I mean, it took forever to build these things. Okay, so I'm the, I'm the pyramidologist, but and there's many many ideas about how the pyramids were made. But what we do, and I, I'm not an Egyptologist, but what we do have in recent times is that a record has come that the the stones were brought in from another place on barges. Okay, and if I was to build a pyramid, which I'm not going to build, and I don't think I could build. <laughs> oh, I no, we're actually, doing it next time you're on. We're we're just gonna. Yeah, there's just going to be a bunch of ting, the, ting, ting, ting in the background. Yes. Nobody's so going to I'm not a pyramidologist, but, there's, <laughs> but the, the, the record shows that they're brought in barges, and I would have probably used continued them on those barges and somehow lifted 
through some sort of lock system to put them into place. That's what I would have done. I would have been dragging these huge stones around in the desert. Um, but, 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 but stop right. Well, this is the, you got right to where I wanted you to go. You yeah. were talking, we're talking about, you were talking about geniuses earlier. Hello. What are we talking about here? Absolutely genius. <laughs> I mean, obviously it, instead of dragging them by hand, well, mm-hmm. shoulder back, we're talking about floating them and lifting them and, Lift nothing. them with locks. I would have lifted them with locks. That's what I would have done. Nothing that we're doing today. Obviously, nothing you just told me you're, you're, doing, you're not doing it. Yeah. So, okay. Tell me. We talked. You touched on the the older book a little bit ago. Touch on the biological newer one. time. Yeah. Yeah. T- you t- touch on the newer one now before we run out of time because, like I said, we only we have. So before Orion, finding the face of the hero, and I have I have a lot of videos out there on YouTube. Beforeorion.com, spelled out as one word. Go to my webpage, beforeorion.com. And with dot as a period, and it just opens. It's a portal to all the you know. There's two minute videos. There's hour long presentations. I've given presentations at universities, astronomical institutes. I gave a presentation a few weeks ago at a high school um, after school science program. Two hundred kids cramped in a room, um, and it was on neurodiversity. So people, there's they can go to beforeorion.com and they can. There's a treasure trove of information. I've done you know. I probably done like 40, 40 or so podcasts. You know, I'm over three million people have listened to this story so far. You know, there's tons of information out there. But before Ryan, we'll go back to that. Okay, before Ryan is it's before Ryan finding the face of the hero, and it's a this, the book is about my personal journey of of going through um, and finding the images and tying them to the biological clocks of these animals and tying them into the myth and, and the psychology of man and learning who we are and finding explanations for where we've come from. Because if we don't know where we've come come from, then what we're locked into, how do we know where we can go? If the psychology of man hasn't changed in 34,000 years, what are we to expect for the future? Just better toys? Well, can they get better? Um, oh, I'm sure we're going to find better toys. You know... Like, mm-hmm. You know, it was like 100, 120 years ago or so, they wanted to close down the U.S. Patent Office because they didn't think anything new could be discovered. And, um, you know, it's <clears throat> we're up to the <laughs> G5 now or something on the phones. Um, so, Which might kill you, by get, the way, if you believe The so toys much. will get better, but we're still going to have mad kings. And we're still going to have heroes and damsels and distresses. And we're still going to look at the animals and learn about ourselves. Um, and what's very interesting about this hero who goes on the journey, he counts all these animals, you know, Pegasus is the horse and um, Agi is the eagle. And what he does is he actually merges with them. And so he becomes um, a centaur that the, the animals give him strength on his journey. And we still tell those stories today. We said, you know, of course, Ant-Man, you know, Aquaman, you know, the late, by the way, Aquaman completely solves the Atlantis riddle. If you haven't seen the movie, it's all there. Okay. Um, so Aquaman, Ant-Man, we have Spider-Man, Batman. You go down the line is that we still look at the animals in our world and the same they did 34,000 years ago. We, we see how we can draw those strengths from each one of those. So the Paleolithic mind, this animus, this person who saw themselves as, you know, the, the stars as being spirits and the animals being, you know, brother salmon or, or sister bear, um, we still have that within us. You know, you'll still say someone as strong as an ox or as fast as a cheetah or as smart as an owl or the protective mother bear. Many, many mothers will often use them, you know, have some sort of motif around the home of the, of the mother bear. And they're projecting that that psyche um, it's of who they are. And that was that same psyche we have 34,000 years ago. So we haven't changed. And I, I say we're not going to change. I say that in 30,000 years from now, some great descendant of yours and some great descendant of mine will have the same conversation. That's a trip and, right there. And that it, it won't change. And I believe that the, you know Plato and Aristotle and all the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians, they all pondered these same questions. They pondered the questions of, we haven't changed from the past, this and past. Where are we today? And what will happen in our future? We're just going to have better toys, but we're still going to have mad kings and we're still going to have heroes and damsel in distresses. And we're still going to project our psyche into these animals that we're anamorphosize ourselves to, to gain strength from them. So what? So in 30,000 years, 
what will be the superhero of its time? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's going to be the same one it was 30,000 years ago. Because those animals, that the, the hero that goes on his journey, that he integrates when he draws strength from, they're the same ones we use today. We haven't changed. And we're not going to change. We're just going to have better toys. That's think- my that's my opinion anyway. I well, I I tend to agree with you to this point, but are I'm just saying. So Darwin Day, you know, I'm going into Darwin Day, right? Yes, go for it. And, and Darwin Day, you know, Darwin was that there was a this human progression, and that we we continually over time that the stronger the fitter survive, and that it's not just you know someone has you know bigger abs or or she attracts more more men than others. Darwin truly believed that we intellectually get stronger, that we get smarter. And we, that is what is taught in school today, and that's what we all believe. And so I'm going to go into Darwin Day in this church, this Unitarian church, and I'm going to dispel their beliefs about Darwin. And I'm going to say, you got to look at the science, and you have to look at the spirituality, and you have to find consilience between the two. And Darwin was brilliant, and he was a genius of his time, and we, we forever in the debt for what he did. But there was no intellectual or psychological evolutionary change in 34,000 years. And that's what we have to face. That's the elephant in the room. Yeah, I was, was going to say, you said getting smarter, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm smarter because I can sit here and type up anything I want and see some information about it. But doesn't you, are you really smarter? You're just using the toys a little better. That's what has, that's where I was driving to. Am I really smarter, or do, is it just the ability to obtain the information easier? Well, the ability to obtain the information is a lot easier. Exactly. Well, here's a story. This is an important story. It ties this back into this. Picasso, the great Pablo Picasso, was brought to the cave of Altamira, and there's a movie about Altamira starring Antonio Banderas. And Altamira was um, one of the first, one of the first, actually, let's call big cave. They had lots of images from the past that they had found, and people in in, in that time believed that they were um, forgeries, because there's not possible that primitive man could have created these these extraordinary, extraordinary images. So Picasso was brought in to verify that they were in fact fakes from his friends. And Picasso went to the cave of Altamira and he saw these these bison on the ceiling. And he looked deeply into him and he came out and he said, none of us could, these are not forgeries. None of us could have done anything like this. And so Picasso is the, um, he is the source of modern art as we know it through his cubism. Now here's something interesting about Picasso. So Picasso, so Picasso said all the Paleolithic artists were his artistic superiors. But here's something a little more about Picasso. Picasso not only walked out and said, we can't create, well, this is not from us, this is not from, from a distant time. These are none of my friends. He borrowed images from that. And in his first Cubism artwork, Le Dame d'Avignon in 1907, he borrowed two characters from, exactly from the walls of Altamira. And he put those in his painting. And that became modern art. Modern art as we know it is not just the mo- the, mo- the metaphors that Picasso borrowed. It's not just the style of the Cubism, which he brought forward as obviously saying this is a Paleolithic art. But he actually brought the exact same characters from the caves. He lifted them of sorts. And so he took an old metaphor and an old art style for a new time, which we now call modern art. And so we could say we have better toys now, but we definitely don't have better art. But Picasso said we didn't. And Picasso, what we, this genius of Picasso was actually a recreation of a time past. That Picasso borrowed Paleolithic art and created modernism, modern art as we know it today. I'm sitting here going, Sistine Chapel roof, kind of a cave, but anyways. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, they are. So they all are. In fact, they they all they, they actually all are. And they, they they created the they put the gods, which are the the constellations on the on the, on the ceilings. Absolutely, and so the, the the Sistine Chapel and all the great cathedrals—they're actually they're mountains, they're cosmic mountains. And around the world, with the the the, the, um, the Mayan temples or the the Giza or the pyramids in in, um, in Egypt, we recreated the temples. We create these cosmic mountains that the hero climbs. And so we, 
yeah, we, we, we can't escape the metaphor. We can't escape the myth. And it's just as we talked in the beginning of the program with Jung. He goes down into the, down the hallway, and he goes down into this cave and, and below, and he looks at this, these two skulls, and he comes to this concept that this Paleolithic mind is still our own, and that we're still trapped in the same myths, myths that we can't change. The stories modified slightly. The sets are different. The costumes change but we're still trapped in the same myth, the same matrix. Because the human mind, it is it is what enables to, us to speak to each other, that we can communicate, we can trust each other, that we have common beliefs. And whether you're a scientist, you believe you're a scientist, whether you believe you're a spiritual person, you share those same myths, those myth, that myth of the cosmic egg, which became the Big Bang. Um, we can't escape from the myths because they give order to our life. And these are myths that go back at least 34,000 years. This Paleolithic mind that is still our own. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a fun, it's a, oh, back to that line. Is is there even a line? Because they're somewhat dependent on each other. We they don't want, neither they don't can exist without the other. Yeah. Neither can exist. Because it's how, I believe, I believe that cosmology of what it actually is, is something so beyond what we can possibly believe or understand. It's beyond the human imagination. It's beyond anything we can even think of being able to measure or weigh. I believe that we lack the ability to think outside, truly think outside the box because we're trapped in the matrix. And there's a question for every guest you have coming on your show. Hey, you know, tell me about your matrix. Well, I'm just, what makes you trapped in? Because you know you hear again spirituality coming. This question coming from this slant of that uh, spectrum. Well, this higher plane, higher. You know, everybody wants to go to this next level. But you're telling me we've been kind of flatlined for the last thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can put it, I can show you thirty four thousand years for sure. But I believe it's at least three hundred. Well. I, yeah, well, drops in the bucket either way. Uh, you see what I'm saying? You know, so, okay. We've got about two minutes left. So I've, I've got very important question. Uh, website, social media, you know. Absolutely. Sell, yeah. sell yourself away. Yeah, so, so the book is before Orion, Find the Face of the Hero, on Amazon, wherever you'll find ebooks. Um, my webpage, beforeorion.com, portal to everything. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, Tumblr. Reddit, YouTube page, lots of videos. You can find them through my portal beforeorion.com. And it's all out there. And it's all just fun stuff and great interviews. I look in lots of different directions of monsters and myths, spirituality, you know, astronomy. Um, and my Darwin Day will be up there in a month. And so people can, you know, you know, this is guy four against Darwin. And have we evolved? And the answer from the my matrix, my paradigm that I'm stuck in is no. <laughs> you just gave it away. You should, there was no spoiler alert. There's no... No, wait, we've already discussed this. <laughs> well, well, Bernie, as we chatted before the show, you said most people have you on for two hours and tell you they're gonna, they have to have you back. Well, as I promised, what? A minute and a half into us talking that I'd have to have you back? We got to do another one. We got, you know, it's, as we are, as I promised earlier, I, I knew earlier. Like we I need said, to explore the cosmos in our own heads. <laughs> you were, you were gonna, yeah. Anyways, thanks, I'm gonna, Jim. I'm gonna be up late tonight. Thanks, thanks, Bernie. <laughs> Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Oh, Bernie, uh, great guest, but man, poof, um, my head is going to explode. I'm sure. Uh, Glad everybody kind of caught on and had a good show with me as well. Um, can't wait. Looking forward to it. 2019 is going to be a good year. That's all I want to say. Started out well. If you haven't seen my Facebook cover, uh, the highlights are top 40 on Stitcher right now. I'm just beyond. I, I can't. I, there's no words. I'm out of time anyway, so I'm not even going to try. Views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. For past shows, social media links, and 
so much more. Visit Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. And thanks for listening. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs)